Please be seated. The reading is Jeremiah chapter 7, reading from verses 1 through to 29. And this can be found on page 765 in the Red Bibles. We have Bibles in other languages and versions available at the back of church, and the page numbers for those are on the screens. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Stand at the gate of the Lord's house, and there proclaim this message. Hear the word of the Lord, all you people of Judah, who come through these gates to worship the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Reform your ways and your actions, and I will let you live in this place. Do not trust in deceptive words and say, This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. If you really change your ways and your actions and deal with each other justly, if you do not oppress the foreigner, fatherless or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not follow other gods to your harm, then I will let you live in this place, in the land I gave to your ancestors forever and ever. But look, you are trusting in deceptive words that are worthless. Will you steal and murder, commit adultery and perjury, burn incense to Baal, and follow other gods you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house which bears my name and say, we are safe. Safe to do all these detestable things? Has this house which bears my name become a den of robbers to you? But I have been watching, declares the Lord. Go now to the place in Shiloh where I first made a dwelling for my name and see what I did to it because of the wickedness of my people Israel. While you were doing all these things, declares the Lord, I spoke to you again and again, but you did not listen. I called you, but you did not answer. Therefore, what I did to Shallow, I will now do to the house that bears my name, the temple you trust in, the place I gave to you and your ancestors. I will thrust you from my presence, just as I did all your fellow Israelites, the people of Ephraim. So do not pray for this people, nor offer any plea or petition for them. Do not plead with me, for I will not listen to you. Do you not see what they are doing in the towns of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem? The children gather wood, the fathers light the fire, and the women knead the dough and make cakes to offer to the Queen of Heaven. They pour out drink offerings to other gods to arouse my anger. But am I the one they are provoking, declares the Lord? Are they not, rather, harming themselves to their own shame? Therefore, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. My anger and my wrath will be poured out on this place, on man and beast, on the trees of the field and on the crops of your land, and it will burn and not be quenched. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Go ahead, add your burnt offerings to your other sacrifices and eat the meat yourselves. For when I brought your ancestors out of Egypt and spoke to them, I did not just give them commands about burnt offerings and sacrifices, 
But I gave them this command, obey me, and I will be your God, and you will be my people. Walk in obedience to all I command you, that it may go well with you. But they did not listen or pay attention. Instead, they followed the stubborn inclinations of their evil hearts. They went backwards and not forwards. From the time your ancestors left Egypt until now, day after day, again and again, I sent you my servants, the prophets. But they did not listen to me or pay attention. They were stiff-necked and did more evil than their ancestors. When you tell them all this, they will not listen to you. When you call to them, they will not answer. Therefore, say to them, This is the nation that has not obeyed the Lord its God or responded to correction. Truth has perished. It has vanished from their lips. Cut off your hair and throw it away. Take up a lament on the barren heights, for the Lord has rejected and abandoned this generation that is under his wrath. This is the word of the Lord. Nikki, thanks very much for getting through that. That was a long slog. Cheery, wasn't it? No, it was a fairly bleak um, message. It is perhaps the most famous sermon that Jeremiah ever preached. It is fundamental to understanding the man and his message and his ministry. We've started to piece that together over the last couple of weeks. We looked at his call, and Steve showed us last week about how uh, idolatry was growing amongst the people of God and, and how idolatry is this relational thing. It's not just breaking the rules. There's a relationship. You've turned away from the God who made you and loves you and wants you for his own. Um, and when you read chapter 7, you need to read it uh, probably linked up with chapter 26. We're not going to do that um, today, but it'd be good maybe for you if you want to get to grips with it to read chapter 26 later this afternoon because it tells us the same story of the same sermon being preached, but it also gives us the reactions of the people, how they reacted to the word of the Lord that came uh, from Jeremiah. You might imagine that this was not a popular message. Right at the end there, it says they're not going to listen. Jeremiah's message was not popular. And just as it wasn't popular when he first preached it, there's going to be lots of ways in which it's not going to be popular today. It's not going to be popular today. We might not like hearing what God says to us in Jeremiah chapter 7. As I've wrestled with it this week, there have been bits of it that I've not liked. And yet the Lord God, in his infinite wisdom, says that we need to hear this. So I just want to caution us all as we come before God's words, not to close off our ears. Jeremiah lays it on pretty thick early on, doesn't he, in chapter 70. We're told it's the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. And he's to stand at the gate in the Lord's house and proclaim this message. Hear the word of the Lord, all you people of Judah who come through these gates to worship the Lord. You who would claim that God is your God, well, this is what your God wants to say to you. Pay attention. Listen up to this word because it's going to be hard to hear. 
This probably happened fairly early on in Jeremiah's ministry. I don't know if you can imagine the scene. This young man goes to Jerusalem, the capital city, stands at the entrance to the temple. All the great and the good are there. It's probably one of the major festivals of the Jewish people where everyone had to go to Jerusalem. It's like going to the House of Commons or something like that and standing up as a young person in the gallery and saying, let me tell you what God says to this nation. He probably was terrified to do it. And yet he knew God had called him to this moment. Hear the words of the Lord. And we've been piecing together uh, what the people's spiritual state uh, has been. Uh, And I want to say it's been a deadly cocktail of ingredients that are going on in the people's hearts in Judah at this time. Uh, You know, a cocktail is where you put different ingredients together and they're supposed to enhance one another. You know, they're supposed to make one another better. So when you drink, you know, anyone ever tried a glass of gin on its own? Um, or a glass of tonic water on its own, not particularly pleasant. You put them together on a nice warm summer's afternoon, and hey, presto, you've got a delicious drink. The flavors go together and enhance one another. But this is a different kind of cocktail. It's different ingredients that are going together in the people's hearts, and when they blend together, they grow something truly toxic. Truly toxic. We've seen that idolatry is rampant. People are turning aside from God and following whatever gods they want to make up for themselves. Their hearts are going after anything and everything other than the living God. We saw that in chapters 2 and 3. We've not looked at chapters 4 to 6, but one of the messages that comes out there is that people are just not repenting. They're not wanting to acknowledge that they've turned away from God. They're not facing up to the truth and turning back at all. And today, in chapter 7, as we look at the falseness of the people of God. There's a third ingredient that's added. Presumption. It's a bit of an old-fashioned word. In medieval times, theologians spent a long time discussing the sin of presumption. It is to presume on God's mercy, to have a hope not founded on anything real, but just assuming that God will forgive. Of course he'll forgive me. He'll never judge me. No chance. Of course he'll bless me. Of course I'll get good things. It's an old-fashioned word. We don't use it very much anymore. But we we do use another word that you might have heard quite a bit in recent months and years that does the rounds. We talk about entitlement. Entitlement. You hear that, don't you? This is an age of entitlement. I've been reading a number of articles this week, and sometimes it's the sort of uh, Generation Z or, or... why or whatever word we're using now, the millennials, they get a bad rep for being entitled. But if you look at it, I'm not sure they're any more entitled than previous generations. It's a a fairly natural sin in the human heart to assume that we deserve things. This is entitled man. I deserve it all, he says. And as we look round in big ways and small, we can see this attitude of entitlement that people feel they deserve things. I came across a great story uh, this week about a couple uh, at their wedding. They had this um, wedding list or whatever else, and a guest at their wedding had sent them a £100 cheque in the post, which, you know, you'd think fairly generous, uh, but they thought that was far too little. And so they wrote back saying, I'm sure there must be some sort of a mistake here because you seem so happy for us on the day. Are you sure you might not want to go and reconsider your gift? I don't know, I found that extraordinary, (laughs) but... It sort of fits in with this 
age where we sort of think, of course people will give us good things. Of course people will be not. We deserve it. Blessing should be automatic. And I think in a very real sense, people have that attitude toward God as well. So let's, let's look at this sermon and let's see the sin of presumption. It, it comes out in that very famous verse 4. And maybe you heard this as, as Nikki was reading it for us. Do not trust in the deceptive words and say, This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. See, God's people who lived in Judah had an enormous privilege. God had decided that of everywhere in the world, that was where he was going to put his temple. They were going to be his people. It was a tremendous privilege that they had. But they turned it into a good luck charm. You see, they turned it into thinking that because God's temple was there, that meant that God would never judge them. They were safe. They were fine. Some years earlier, a foreign army from Assyria had tried to invade Jerusalem, and God had performed a miracle and sent them away. And the people just said, well, we're safe, don't you see? No one can ever conquer Jerusalem. God's temple's there. He's not going to let anything happen to his temple. We're safe. They assumed, they presumed that God would never judge them. And so what did they do? Well, they lived any way they want. And God is not happy with this. So Jeremiah says in verse 5, If you really change your ways and your actions and deal with each other justly, if you do not oppress the foreigner, the fatherless, or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not follow other gods to your own harm, then I will let you live in this place. See, God says, yes, you have a great privilege. You're my people. But with that comes a responsibility to live the way I have commanded you. And the implication is, isn't it, that actually they are oppressing the foreigner. They are oppressing the fatherless, the the widow, those who are weaker in society, those who are vulnerable. They're even shedding innocent blood, it seems, in the temple courts itself. The people have gone a long way from God. And they just think, well, we can do what we want because this is the temple of the Lord. God will never judge us. God will, you know, God will let us off. And that is the sin of presumption at its heart. It's the sin that says, God will forgive me, that's his job. No need to repent. No need to listen to him. No need to come before his word and ask him to change me. He'll just let me off. No real repentance at all. I think that's a strikingly modern attitude in many ways. I mean, a lot of people inside church buildings and outside church buildings, to be honest, who sort of feel like that, who go on their way, don't want to listen to God's word, don't want to put it into practice, don't want to change in any way, just want to live for their own lives, their own way, the way they want to, follow their own heart's desires, not let God tell them how they should think and feel, not not let his word correct them. But deep down, they just assume, well, of course God loves me. It'll all be fine. Nothing's going to happen. He'll never judge. Verse 9, will you steal and murder, commit adultery and perjury, burn incense to Baal, follow other gods you've not known, then come and stand before me in this house which bears my name and say we're safe? 
safe to do all these detestable things. Jeremiah says, God is a God of justice and goodness and holiness. And he calls his people to listen to his word and obey and change. Do not presume. And in verse 11, quite famous, Jesus echoes this exact verse when he stands in the temple. Has this house which bears my name become a den of robbers to you, a robber's cave, a mafia safe house? You know, you, you go out with your friends in the, in the mafia. I'm sure no one here is in the mafia. Maybe you are, I don't know. Um, everyone's welcome to hear the word of the Lord and receive his grace. But you go and you commit crimes. You imagine a, a mafia group that go and they commit crimes. And then you get to the safe house and you're like, fine, we're safe. The cops aren't going to get us here. And Jeremiah says, strikingly, that's what the temple has become. You're out there living an immoral life, a wicked life, a godless life, and then you come to the temple and act like it's like some magic safe house that's going to keep you safe. A good luck charm. No judgment will ever befall you. I'm safe. I'm covered. No one can see. The cops can't get in. End of verse 11. But I have been watching, declares the Lord. And actually, it's a funny place to put their hope in a, in a monument to God. Because verses 12 to 15, uh, we can't go through all these verses, but they describe how God had previously had a, a high place set up in his honor in a place called Shiloh, which is in the northern kingdom of Israel. By this stage, the northern kingdom of Israel has been obliterated. Only the southern tribes of Judah are left. God did not allow them to worship idols and follow their own gods and their own hearts indefinitely. The day came when judgment fell. And God says, go and look. If you're there saying nothing's going to happen, judgment's never going to fall, go and look what happened to Shiloh, says God. Go and see how serious I am about seeing justice done. Do not presume. Do not presume the sin of presumption will be all right god will never judge we're safe we come to church we're safe we can live any way we want monday to saturday we're in church on sunday so we're safe it's that kind of attitude i still think it's very common today we might not hear many people talk about presumption but i think it's so common we don't even recognize it anymore And it's very deadly. Our second point, the damage of presumption. Verse 16 is a huge shock. This is God speaking now. The, the, Jeremiah's speech ends at verse 15, and then God speaks to Jeremiah. So do not pray for this people, or offer any plea or petition for them. Do not plead with me, for I will not listen to you. shock, isn't it? God says to Jeremiah, this people, this generation here, because of their rampant wickedness that we've been reading about, he says, beyond the pale. They have gone too far, so don't pray for them. I'm not going to deliver them. 
Now, historically, this is what we're going to see work out through the book of Jeremiah as the people of God in Judah in about 600 BC, just after, are judged. The Babylonians are going to come. And God says, I'm not turning back from that. Judgment will fall on them. They've reached a point of no return, no going back. And so God's agent of grace, the prophet, who was supposed to come and preach the words to them, he says, don't pray for them anymore. They've gone too far. They've made their bed. Now they will lie in judgment. Now I guess there's a bit of all of us, isn't there, that goes, how can God do that? Isn't that a bit over the top? Isn't that a bit harsh, God? Well, I just want to say two things to that quite quickly. I think we all want a world of justice. That's what I see as I I look around and and watch social media or something like that. Petition after petition flies up saying, come and and advocate for this group or that group. We, We want to see justice done. We don't like living in a world of injustice. We want to speak out against injustice. Injustice is bad. But if you want a world of justice, there must be a God of justice governing that world. There must be limits to what he can allow. There must come a point where God says, I'm sorry, that is so wrong, I must write it. I must punish what is wrong. I must get rid of it from my world. If we don't have a God like that, then actually we don't have much of a hope at all that this world can one day be transformed into a better place. So though I understand that verse 16 seems harsh, look at the good thing that it's telling us about God. We have a God who cares about justice, who wants to see justice done. That's not going to allow injustice to carry on forever. And the second thing I want us to see is verse 17 and 18. Do you not see what they're doing in the towns of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem? The children gather woods, the fathers light the fire, the women knead the dough and make cakes. Okay, so what are they doing? They're taking lots of good things in the creation, the trees that God has made, and the ability to make fire that God has given humankind, and the dough that comes from various bits of produce in the ground that God has given them. All these are good gifts from God, and they take them, and they use them, and what do they do with them? They make cakes to offer to the Queen of Heaven, a false god. They take God's good gifts, And give thanks and worship to an idol. I mean, that's perverse. That's outrageous behavior. When you think about it, God gives us every good gift, the Bible tells us. And we don't thank him for them. If you're like me, you forget to thank him so often. And we even use those gifts to give praise and glory to other things and to live for other things in our lives. If we don't sense that that is outrageous, that might be the first clue that this sin of presumption is creeping into our own hearts. It it took me by surprise. I, I had to check my own heart this week reading it. It is outrageous, the behavior of God's people toward him. And here's the other thing. See, verse 19 is an important verse to pick up on. Am I the one they're provoking, declares the Lord? Are they not rather harming themselves to their own shame? Now, here's an important thing that just balances 
uh, something Steve said last week, which was, which was true. So Steve was saying, sin's not breaking God's law, it's breaking God's heart. And, and he was trying to get us to see that sin is a relational thing. But he said several times, didn't he, God's not weak. We mustn't get it into our heads that in some way we're, we're hurting or harming God with our sin, that he's, he's beaten down, because God's not like that. It's very important to remember that, that God is steady and unchanging and stable and all-powerful. Because that means that when God cares for us and says, turn away from your sin, he doesn't do it selfishly. He doesn't do it for his own sake. He does it because he loves us. Is it me you're harming, says God? Are you not actually harming yourself? That's the insanity of sin. It's us who are harmed. And so, having misused God's good creation gifts, verse 20 says they're all going to be taken away. His anger and his wrath are going to be poured out. And that happened in 586 BC, the final destruction of Jerusalem for that generation, took place. They've gone past the point of no return. Now, at this point, we just need to be careful and press pause and say, we are not them. Okay? This was God's word to his people then. You've gone beyond the point of no return. We've not reached that point yet. The New Testament says today is the day of salvation. Anyone who will come with a sincere heart, a humble heart, and repent and turn back to God, you've not reached this point. But it's important we take the warning seriously that this point does exist. It is possible to go beyond the point of no return. So anyone who's here today who's presuming that God will be kind to them but doesn't have any inclination that they want to listen to him or change, have you heard this warning? Now, I know in a room this size there'll be plenty of people who have heard that warning and want to respond to it and are repenting and believing. And that's, that's wonderful. But don't let this sin of presumption creep in. It's something I constantly have to check myself for. That we start to assume. And our, uh, our third point. The pretense of presumption. You see, what happens is, once presumption creeps into our hearts, we start playing games. If we know it's crept into our hearts, we start playing games. And that's what the people did. You see, they knew they were living an immoral life. They knew God called them to repent and believe, but they hadn't. So what did they do? They covered it all over with religion, with religious practices. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says in verse 21. Go ahead. Add your burnt offerings to your other sacrifices and eat the meat yourselves. They weren't even performing their duties properly. They were supposed to offer the meat to the priests. But they're doing their religious sacrifices. When I brought your ancestors out of Egypt and spoke to them, I did not just give them commands about burnt offerings and sacrifices. I gave them this command. Obey me and I will be your God and you will be my people. Walk in obedience to all I command you that it may go well with you. But they did not listen or pay attention. Instead, they followed the stubborn inclinations of their evil hearts. They went backwards and not forwards. What God's saying there is that how they've responded to this presumption is they've tried to cover it over, their sin, by doing their religious duties, 
They go to the temple and offer the sacrifices. They go away the next day and live any way they want. It's a form of godliness that denies its power. They've deluded themselves in this cheap show. Pretended they've been forgiven. But didn't look to God's word to show how they should be changed. There's a word for this. It's called cheap grace. The man on the screen is Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was a German pastor, Lutheran pastor in Germany during the age of the Nazi regime. And Bonhoeffer stood up against the Nazis. But he saw the church all around him, the national church in Germany, cave into Hitler and accept what Hitler was saying. And they didn't live any differently to anyone else around them. They weren't prepared to listen to God's word and stand up to him and say, actually, no. Now, there were some faithful Christians who, like Bonhoeffer, did stand up and say, this is not right. And Bonhoeffer lost his life for it. He was killed. But he saw cheap grace all around him, this pretense of religion. And this is what he said about it. Cheap grace is the grace we bestow on ourselves. We just tell ourselves, it's all right, I did my sacrifice, I went to church this morning, I'm fine, I'm forgiven. Don't have to listen to what God says. Cheap grace is the grace we bestow on ourselves. It's the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance, baptism without church discipline, communion without confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. And I think it's something that's all too common in the UK church. We actually live quite comfortable lives. And the willingness to stand up and say, no, I'm going to walk the path of costly discipleship is a tough one. I find it tough. All the ways in which the church begins slowly but surely to cave into the culture around it refuses to walk the costly road of discipleship. But it's foolishness in the long run. Because as you do that, it hardens your heart. That's the, the effect of presumption. It hardens our heart time and again to the grace of God. Verse 27, when you tell them all this, they will not listen to you. When you call to them, they will not answer Therefore say to them, this nation that has not obeyed the Lord, its God, or responded to correction. Truth has perished, it's vanished from their lips. What a bleak assessment. It's where presumption takes you. We need to check ourselves for the sin of presumption. Let me tell you a story about when I was at um, university. In our halls, there were these very sensitive fire alarms. And um, they were so sensitive. You weren't allowed like George Foreman multi-grills or anything like that in your, in your rooms and no frying would, could take place. And the fire alarms were really sensitive. So what people wanted to do, obviously, they wanted some bacon in the morning or whatever. So they would get a plastic bag and they would attach it over the fire alarm to stop the smoke getting through to the fire alarm. <laughs> Meant they could have bacon in the morning. But what a potentially stupid thing to do. To cut yourself off from the warning to cut yourself off from the thing that's there to protect you. 
Imagine you're there and you've lit, lit a candle and then fallen to sleep or something like that in your room and you've got this plastic bag on your fire alarm and then as you fall, you, uh, as you're sleeping, you roll over, you knock the candle over, suddenly your room's engulfed in flames and cut off from the only means to help you escape. That's the danger of presumption when it hardens our hearts. It cuts us off from God's word, from God's truth, the thing that is there to call us back. Well, finally then, because it's been bleak, and I apologize, but I hope you can see that the sermon itself is bleak, so I'm not exactly you know, surprised that the sermon so far has been bleak. But wonderfully, as we've delved into the depths of this sin of presumption, we can see, not from this passage perhaps, but from, from our, our wider knowledge of the Bible, that there is hope, glorious hope. There is an antidote uh, to this presumption. The antidote to cheap grace is to see the cost of grace. To see the cross. The antidote to privilege, feeling entitled to God's blessing, is to see the one who really was entitled to God's blessing, who did not think equality with God was something to be grasped, but he gave up his privilege. And made himself nothing. And took on the form of a servant and went to the cross. One who doesn't just offer sacrifices. But obeys God by offering himself as a sacrifice. The Lord Jesus Christ shows us the picture of true, costly grace. And if you've seen that, and if you know that, if you've really grasped it, it cannot leave you unchanged. If you've not seen what it cost for Jesus to walk the road to the cross, the infinite, eternal Son of God, taking on human flesh so that he could die for my sin, And for yours. How could we ever presume on God's mercy again? Look how far Jesus had to go to secure mercy. That's the thing that melts a hard heart. That's the thing that will start to kill the sin of presumption. If you see the cross and think you can turn away from it unchanged, living any way you want, following the ways of the people of Jeremiah's day, then I want to say you've not understood the cross yet. It is beautiful. It is powerful. It shows us the love and goodness and justice of God all at once. What a God. What a saviour. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this hard word from Jeremiah. Open our eyes and hearts to the places where we 
have presumed on your mercy, on your grace. Lead us back to the cross and melt our hearts there. Let us see the costliness of grace. And may that change us and transform us. And save us all from the sin of presumption which hardens us. We pray these things for the glory of Jesus' name. Amen.